This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... On Tuesday, authorities detained the group's Secretary General, Abdullah Ahmed Moumin, other cities international airport. The action is rattled Somalia's press community. That's Ahmed Mohammed in Mogadishu reporting about new pressure on journalists. Details coming up. Also, African nations face economic headwinds. And the United Nations and more African governments vote against Russia. We'll have these stories and more ahead on African News tonight. As the World Bank IMF meeting in Washington this week, one of the major concerns has been the outlook for global economic growth. Andrew Dublin, the, work, the World Bank's Africa region chief economist, tells VOA's Douglas Mpuga that economic activity in sub-Saharan Africa is slowing amid global headwinds, putting a halt to poverty reduction. So the global economic outlook was downgraded from 5% to 2.9%, that will weigh down on African economic growth. Uh, We are projecting that African growth will actually decelerate from 4.1% in 2021 to about 3.3%. This is on account of the fact that the slowdown in the global growth will lead to a slowdown in African exports. Demand for African exports will mean basically lower earnings and in the end, of course, that implies that uh, poverty reduction will also come to a halt because African countries depend on exports to finance a lot of their uh, expenditures domestically as well. Yeah, given that this is a global issue, is there anything African governments can do to soften the impact? Some things that African governments, of course, can do are three things. For example, they can... They have still control over some resources that they actually collect in terms of domestic revenues. So they can prioritize, so they can reprioritize how they, um, how they spend that, uh, that spending. So they can focus on things that will, first of all, protect the poor who are right now suffering from a lot of crisis, uh, food insecurity, inflation, um, you know, depression in currencies, and so on and so on. So they can focus some of their spending, particularly protecting the poor and the vulnerable, and the programs that they depend on, such as education and health. They can also reprioritize spending and lay the foundations for recovery and growth by spending on activities that will have high value, such as, you know, investing in human capital. That will pay off. It may not pay off immediately, but, you know, when you start recovering, you will need the skills and you'll need the know-how and, and the skill set of, 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 of the population that uh, you've invested in. Investing in infrastructure so that you can connect markets, you can reduce costs for businesses, and so on and so on. And, of course, you can invest in things like energy, which are essential for recovery of businesses. Um, so those are some of the key things you can do. And then the third thing that African countries can do is to begin to trade with themselves. Um, You know, the sources of growth, such as China, the U.S., EU, are right now going through a lot of uncertainty. Some of them 
actually um, heading to a recession of some sort. So you need to diversify where you actually gain growth. And so trading with themselves, get, taking advantage of the um, uh, continental free trade agreement can be a major uh, source of uh, alternative uh, growth. There are ongoing meetings at the World Bank and IMF. Are there any available remedies from those institutions or from the developed economies to Africa? The discussions at this point are focused around a lot of these multiple interlinked crises, inflation, food, fuel and fertilizer, uh, prices that are skyrocketing because of the war in Ukraine, uh, in, in some cases in Africa, especially on the food because of um, you know extreme weather. There's also a lot of discussion around debt and these unsustainable debts and what to do about them. You know, so there's a, a multi-pronged discussions around some of these problems and uh, some of the ways out. Andrew Dabalin, the World Bank's Africa region chief economist, he spoke with Douglas Mpuga from Washington. Earlier this month, the U.S. State Department announced it had opened enrollment to the 2022 Green Card Lottery, also known as the Diversity Visa Immigration Program. The lottery, which is open to people interested in migrating to the United States, was established by the Immigration Act of 1990 for people from countries with low immigration rates of the United States. The program allocates up to 55,000 immigrant visas chosen through random selection. However, there are still many in the target countries who have limited knowledge of the program and the application process. Ali Maki is a Sudanese immigrant who moved to the U.S. after winning the lottery. He advises people on how to apply and the illegal schemes that often dupe applicants into paying for the free visa lottery. He tells VOA's Jackson and Funganye that even though there are no significant changes from last year's lottery program, the removal of the requirement for applicants to possess a passport as a primary condition makes it easier for more people on the continent to apply. I want to start off by asking you, um, what is the process like to apply for this DV lottery? The DV lottery process is like uh, it has a certain requirement to met, you know, like to get the process. The first time you, you're going to apply, it's like it's going to be like random uh, selection. But when you got the random selection, you, you know, it it's supposed to met, you know, certain requirements, you know, to do the process, uh, the visa process. Let's say like equivalent of U- United States high school degree like from back home, whatever you, you know, from what country you are, it doesn't mm. matter if like you are from, you know, like from Korean country or the English country or other, other language other than, you know, English, but at least you have to like met, you know, like certain requirement, like certain, right. that's certain the educational requirement. It, yeah. The education requirement. So <laughs> for the educational requirement, you need a high school certificate. Are there any yes. other requirements uh, for you to be able to apply? No, the previous years they add uh, a passport number, but this year they took it off. So that's like, like plus for African, because in some countries it's much tougher to get a passport than you know, like especially if you don't have any like, um, you know, program to travel or to do anything, then they're not gonna issue that passport because right. because you just wanna like you know apply for a. Agree. I mean, uh, apply for uh, the lottery. It's not. 
it's it's tough so to most, get most, so most people on the continent don't have a passport exactly, only, they only get exactly. a passport when they're about to travel and so that was uh exactly, so many exactly, people okay exactly um, yes, so yes. educational requirement they have taken away the passport does it cost money do you are you charged any time no to apply no no there's a lot of a lot of people just doing that but the first apply just zero you have to go through the website and it's very simple and easy it's not it's not that complicated you know like easy steps mm. they're gonna ask you you know like your information your basic information and your education your address all that stuff just like small steps and it's okay. easy to you know like fly so straightforward information you you know you follow the steps uh exactly and yes. then you 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 apply uh, i imagine that they need a, a picture uh, yes like a picture yes. Uh, the picture is gonna be like light background it's gonna be either white or gray lights I mean background yeah and it's going to be 606 by 600 pixel and it's going to be less than 200 kilobyte because if, when you upload it if like more than 200 kilobytes it's not going to upload in the website right. i've had so many people tell me that these their offices or platforms or people who approach them saying that if you give us money we'll help you apply for the green card what advice would you give to those people what i'm saying is like whenever you apply look at the website if the website is like you know like um it's not that government that means like it's commercial most of the times like scammer if somebody approach you like asking you asking money something like that that means scammer so in lottery there's no money unless you've been in front of the consulate the consulate when you've been at the consulate you're going to pay small fees and when you got the visas there's a uh, Uh, a green card um fees you have to pay before you enter the united states but that's mm-hmm. like that's like next step or the third step you know that was ali maki who advises people on how to apply for the diversity visa program speaking with voa's jackson and funganye for more with ali maki on the visa lottery catch voa's upfront with jackson and funganye you can find uh, upfront on voaafrica.com or wherever you get your podcasts Yesterday, the UN General Assembly of the 193 member states met in an emergency session and adopted a resolution on the Russian-Ukraine conflict. VOA's UN reporter Margaret Bashir explained to me what happened and the significance. So the UN General Assembly had a vote on Wednesday to say that it rejects uh, the referenda that Ru- Russia held in four parts of Ukraine a couple of weeks ago, and that its subsequent attempted annexation of these territories, which, by the way, are about 15% of the whole territory of Ukraine, uh, have no valid m- merit under international law. Like, it, you know, it's void and null. And so the General Assembly um, voted on a resolution that said this. And basically, it was there was overwhelming support to reject Russia's actions. 143 countries rejected and only five, including Russia. So basically four others said they recognize basically these referenda and annexation as in country. So this showed that the international community after eight months of this war is still really very solidly behind the Ukrainian people. And I think what's interesting in Africa is that uh, eight months ago, 
we saw some countries who abstained shift their vote yesterday to uh, support for Ukraine. So, for instance, in March, Angola, Madagascar, Morocco, Senegal, they all abstained in condemning Russia for its invasion. But when it came to saying, do you accept this annexation? They said no. So uh, I think that's an important shift. We also saw some countries that didn't even show up in March, like Guinea and Guinea-Bissau. They didn't even come to the General Assembly to vote in March. They came on Wednesday and they voted to condemn Russia's actions. So uh, particularly from countries that have been feeling pressure from both Moscow and to a certain extent from the West, for them to come and put their hand up and it's on a recorded vote so everybody knows how you voted. It took a lot of courage and it shows people feel very strongly about this. Uh, Do you think the Ukrainian foreign minister's visit uh, earlier last month, uh, Dmitry Kuleba, had any effect on these uh, some of these African countries who did not favor sanctioning Russia for the invasion, but now they were against an annexation? Well, it's hard to say because also the Russian foreign minister Lavrov was in Africa in September. So it's hard to say who had an effect, really. I mean, I think the votes show who had an effect, perhaps. But also countries are perfectly capable of seeing through uh, government's narratives. Everybody's spinning how they want it to be, you know, spun. And they can see how it's affecting their bottom line. And uh, the European Union ambassador who helped to draft this resolution that the assembly adopted, he said after the vote that it was very telling that countries who are far away geographically from Ukraine, you know, voted to say this is wrong. You know, they expressed their concerns about what Russia is doing. So it's affecting everyone in the world. It really just shows us how linked we all are in this century to each other. So, Margaret, uh, lastly, 143 votes in favor. So what happens now moving forward as far as Ukraine is concerned? Um, So basically, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, the U.S. ambassador, sort of put it succinctly. She said that the practical effect of this resolution is that Ukraine's borders remain the same, that Ukraine is still Ukraine. And I think that's the bottom line. That was VOA's UN reporter Margaret Bashir speaking with me from UN headquarters in New York. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Please note we have moved our programs from voanews.com to voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. The Somali Journalists Syndicate is coming under pressure from the government with authorities trying to enter its offices in Mogadishu and arresting the organization's Secretary General. Analysts think the actions may be related to a government order banning media coverage of militant group Al-Shabaab. For VOA, Ahmed Mohammed reports from Mogadishu. First, security agents were caught on camera trying to gain entry to the Mogadishu offices of the Somali Journalist Syndicate, known as the SJS. Then on Tuesday, authorities detained the group's Secretary-General, Abdullah Ahmed Moumin, at the city's international airport. The action is rattled Somalia's press community. Mohamed Ibrahim is the president of the Somali Journalist Syndicate. On behalf of Somali Journalist Syndicate and entire Somali media fraternity, I condemn the arrest in the strongest terms possible and call for the Somali government to release him immediately. Also, uh, this attack represents an attack to all Somali media. The raid came 
shortly after the SGS and three other media organizations issued a joint statement protesting a government directive against publishing content from Al-Shabaab. The Ministry of Information has said the media should not publish content from the militant group. It also blocked access to 40 social media accounts and websites deemed to be affiliated to Al-Shabaab. Journalists warn the directive could be used against independent media. Authorities on Wednesday said Moomin is detained on a security-related charge, but Ibrahim questioned whether it would be linked to the joint statement protesting the order. The government, you know, um, has not consulted the Somali media stakeholders at, uh, you know, um, this directive, and also um, it represents and also shows how the Somali government is trying to manipulate and silence the independent voices. Neither the police spokesman nor the Ministry of Information responded to VOS request for comment. Many journalists are dismayed at the government order, which they say would endanger them and curtail the freedom of expression and the public's right to know. Mohamed Bulbul, a journalist with Mogadishu-based Universal Television, told VOA that the directive put journalists at increased risk. Bulbul says a shabab immediately issued a warning against those who obey the order. So you can feel risk because the reporter is not driving a bulletproof car and is not armed. Security analysts argue that the Somali government is caught in a difficult situation trying to balance the rights of journalists with securing victory against al-Shabaab. Abdaziz Hussein is a security analyst with the Hamid bin Khalifa Civilization Center, a cultural and research center based in Denmark. He says, I think that the government's decision is double-edged sword. If the decision is used and implemented well, it would be good and productive. Isaac added, terrorist propaganda can be stopped and the freedom of speech can be protected. But if any party tries to use it for its own interest, it would be dangerous. According to Isaac, journalists must avoid sensationalizing terrorism. He says the journalists and the media should report what happened, but avoid exaggeration or propaganda issued by the terror group. Al-Shabaab has proved adept at using online platforms and social media to spread its propaganda. President Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud declared last week that there was no neutral position in the war against Al-Shabaab, saying you are either with the government or the terrorist group. Ahmed Mohamed for VOA News, Mogadishu, Somalia. Ugandan President Yaware Museveni has ordered traditional healers and herbalists to suspend their activities as the country battles an Ebola outbreak. This comes amidst reports that some people are seeing Ebola-like symptoms as witchcraft. Catherine Nambi reports from Kampala. Since the confirmation of the Ebola outbreak in the central Uganda district of Mubende last month, there have been a number of reports of people associating the symptoms with witchcraft and running to traditional healers rather than hospitals. The practice has been blamed for the spread of the disease in four other districts. 
For instance, Twajira Yezu, the hero, a contact to an Ebola case, fled his home to seek services of a traditional healer. He was later referred to a hospital in Kampala, the capital, with severe Ebola symptoms and died on admission. Ten other contacts from the hero's family and neighborhood have since succumbed to Ebola. As a result, Museven wants a law to regulate traditional healers, so they stop treating people during outbreaks of such deadly diseases. Stop moving around, seeking treatment from witch doctors. While people may be using the traditional healers, and the traditional healers may be accepting customers in normal times, I think we should put it in the law that when the government announces an epidemic, then the traditional healers should stop receiving customers and wait for the all clear uh, to, to be announced. The president has also ordered religious leaders to stop trying to foster miraculous healing. So please, religious leaders, when you touch them, you will contract Ebola. Advise them to call health workers for safe transfer to hospitals. So medicine is, is part of God's work, and the only people who have got a chance of saving you are the, the hospital. You can't be in a shrine or in your brother's house and you think you will get the, the attention, the care, the support that you will get in a government hospital. Museveni also urged people to be cautious about the use of herbal medicine to treat Ebola-like symptoms. He urged the public to remain calm, follow guidelines from health workers, and avoid using public transport to get to the hospital. He also cautioned drivers of public vehicles and riders of commercial motorcycles known as Boda Boda, to be extra vigilant. The communities in the affected districts should understand that Ebola disease is deadly and spreads through contact with someone who has symptoms. When you see somebody with symptoms or you develop symptoms, call the health workers to take you to the health facility in their ambulances. Do not jump on a Boda Boda or a taxi because you will spread the infection to the ones transporting you. The health workers must use appropriate prote protective wear, gloves, aprons, masks, whenever they are examining patients, whether, whatever they are suffering from. Security personnel supporting the Ebola response have also been placed on high alert to ensure no contacts flee and arrest those who refuse to go to isolation. Uganda has 54 cases and 20 deaths, four of which are medics. According to the Minister of Health, about 20 people, including health workers, have been discharged from Ebola treatment units. This is Catherine Nambi for VOA News in Kampala. A UN debate yesterday, the Assistant Secretary General for Africa said the response to the climate crisis does not match the magnitude of the challenge facing the continent. Martha Maakiapobi said more needs to be done to slow rising emissions and reduce global warming. She said that among the priorities for moving forward are improved risk analysis that focuses on the cross-border sharing of resources. Pobi added that climate action and peace building must reinforce each other. For that reason, she said, women, crucial agents of change, and youth, 
must be involved in creating climate and peacekeeping policies. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel. Next, a conversation with Professor Ruth Ben-Ghiat, who specializes in authoritarian movements around the world. Ben-Ghiat will discuss the significance of the recent elections in Italy, which brought to power a political party with roots in fascism and Mussolini. She will also discuss threats posed by gains in far-right parties in Sweden and Hungary, as well as the erosion of democracy in the United States and Brazil. Next on Press Conference USA, on The Voice of America. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Des McConan, and our engineer, John Walker, thanks for choosing The Voice of America.